Amen. All right. Hey, we are once again in the book of Intro to Apologetics. All right, man, I'm going to just spit that baby out there. Now, yes, we talked about that book, Tom. We're back in the book. So now those of you who don't have the book, Tom needs to be instructed. What are we going to do? Use our imagination. All right, so anyway, so that's right, imagination. And once again, as we're going to see, for those of you who have your book, those of you who don't use your imagination, we're on page 33. We're dealing once again with the existence of God. How many guys are excited about that? Right? Anybody glad that God is real? Anybody glad that you can have a relationship with God? Right? And anybody glad that that's all just a figment of your imagination? Wrong answer. That's what the world says, but we are going to take a look at logic. We're going to take a look at reason. God said, come, let us reason together. Don't check your brain at the door. As a skeptic would say, we need to use our brains. And God gives us plenty of evidence for his existence, ultimately not so we can stare at him from afar, but so that we can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior so that we can begin that relationship now before we even get to heaven. But that's what we're going to see there. And we've already seen, if you guys remember, how many guys remember? 42 weeks ago. Yeah, imagination is the key word, that's right. And we saw with chapter one, we dealt with everything has a beginning as we're taking a look at the existence of God, okay? And that, of course, is the cosmological argument we saw there. Uh, How many guys had a birthday this year? How many guys are going to have a birthday this year? Praise God, okay? Guess what? You just proved the existence of God. Did you know that? Yeah, hopefully is the key word there. Uh, But uh, because if you had a beginning, that implies a... Beginner, right? You came from a cabbage leaf. Remember that? Wasn't that awesome that day? And you struck the little caterpillars off of you, blew the dirt off, and somebody picked you up, and you got a family. It works out that way every... No, it's not. Okay, no, you came from mom and dad, right? And again, as we've seen before, it's so profound that if your parents didn't have kids, you won't either. Did you get that one, Mario? You could use that one later. But uh, uh, no, because, uh, because we celebrate a birthday, we celebrate a beginning, which implies a beginner. We had to come from somewhere, right? And that's what we see with the existence of God. They even know scientifically that all of life, not just us, had a beginning, which implies a beginner. Where did it come from? The Big Bang, the beginning, okay? And so we saw that's an ex- argument for the existence of God. Then we uh, dealt extensively on the argument of design or the teleological argument, that we see design in everything, from the telescope to the microscope, and we see that that, of course, uh, design just implies that uh, it just happened randomly by chance, because we see all the design in our cell phones and computers, and, and we all know that uh, we got those after Radio Shack blew up 1,731 times. It just randomly appeared on the scene after millions of years. No, if you see design in something, it implies somebody designed it. So if we see design in all of life and creation, guess what? capital D, there's a designer, okay? Then we said, well, wait a second, what about evolution? Or we should call it evolution, because that's what it spawns, okay, unfortunately. And from there on, we took our uh, fancy 42-week, that's right, who's counting? I am, 42-week detour on the witness of creation, taking a look at that. And now we're back in action in chapter 3. We're going to take a look now at the third existence uh, argument for the existence of God, that's everything has morals, Okay, or the morality argument. And that's what it says here at the top of 33. Again, if you don't have your workbook, imagination. Here's what he says. Reason number three, universal and timeless moral values can exist only if God exists. We know universal, timeless moral values do exist. Therefore, God must exist. And believe it or not, this is actually an argument that Paul used in Romans chapter 2. So that's our opening text there. 
Uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. And as you turn there, of course, uh, the, this is the second argument, the, the second of the three C's that Paul uses to explain uh, why everybody in chapter 1, he says, you are without, if you will, a rag of excuse. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I didn't have enough proof of your existence. Excuse me? And he gives us three C's there, as we've seen several times before. And the first C is the light of creation. That's Romans chapter 1. That we have seen God's uh, invisible qualities, his eternal nature, etc., and what he has made, his creation. And that goes back to the design argument, okay? So if you see design and creation, you should know, hello, this didn't happen by chance. Somebody designed it, i.e. there's a God. So Paul says, nobody on the planet is going to have an excuse to stand before God. You saw what I made. Logically, it implies a designer, no excuse. Now we're going to get into the second one, and that is the light of conscious, okay, is what we're going to see. And then ultimately, we're not going to get into it tonight, but the third C, for those who want to deal with the acronym, is the claims, the direct claims of Jesus Christ. And this is important, as we saw before, because many people will come up to us as Christians, and they will say, well, what about the guy on the desert island? What about the guy on the mountaintop? What about the guy who never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Bible? You mean to tell me God's going to send him to hell? How many of you guys heard that? Right? And this is a very important point because it's like, excuse me? Don't think so. Uh, you saw creation. You should have known. No excuse. Oh, you had this, uh, we're going to see tonight, you had this conscience built inside of you, universal moral law thing. You should have known. Oh, and by the way, the person who's asking that question, guess what? That's a straw man argument. Who cares, with all due respect, about this guy on the desert island or mountaintop or whatever? Uh, that's neither here nor there. The question is, I just told you about Jesus and his claims. What are you going to do? Right? And so you flip it around with that love. And oh, by the way, again, there's a straw man argument. They say, what about that innocent native? What's the problem with that statement? There is no one innocent. No one is righteous. No, not one. Okay, so you can even stop there. But God and Paul, certainly, he meets us where we're at in our ye little faith, and he gives us evidence. And so in Romans chapter 2, we're going to deal with this second argument for the existence of God. Verse 14 uh, is where Paul's going to start talking about this. And he says this, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, Old Testament, okay, at this time, uh, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have a law. In other words, they don't have a copy of the Ten Commandments. They don't have, they don't have the Torah, right? They, they don't have the Old Testament. How do they know this stuff is right and wrong? And that's what he says. He says this, he says, since, uh, he says for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Where is it written? On their hearts. So it's internal, Right? Their consciences, there's your second C, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets. God knows everything? Even the stuff that you think is hidden? Ooh, that's going to scare we. Yeah, it's true though. Uh, secrets, right? Through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. In other words, when judgment day comes, listen, nobody's going, no, God knows it all, right? And what he says here, he deals with this moral argument, okay? So if, if we see design and everything, the light of creation, there's no excuse you should imply there's a designer, i.e. a God. And this is what Paul's argument, listen, these, these are Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews, which means they never came across the Old Testament, the Torah, the writings, the prophets, none of that stuff. So how in the world did they automatically know without ever once ever coming across a copy of the Old Testament or even the Ten Commandments? How did they know inherently, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, that it's wrong to murder? Where did that come from? And that's his argument. That's right, Tom. How did he know that it was absolutely wrong 
uh, inherently. He didn't even have to read the Ten Commandments. Never even picked up the Bible, but he knows it's wrong. Where did this come from? That it's wrong to steal. Now, who here tonight has a whole bunch of cash on them? Raise your hand. I'm not going to rip you off. No, come on. You can... Who has any cash? Scott, come on. Get up, Scott. Come on up here. Get your five minutes of fame. I need your help up here. Yeah, all right, Scott. So, all right. All right, come on up here. All right. You got it like in a wallet? Yeah. Can I, can I see it? Pocket. Yeah, let me see it. Oh, I like your wallet. It's see-through. Yeah. This is awesome. All right, go ahead and have a seat there, Scott. Yeah, get up for Scott. Awesome. Right? All right, so our next point is we're going to see. Now, wait a second. Not just because I are a pastor and a Christian. Why would that be wrong of me? And why, uh, why is everybody in unison going, no, no, no? It's wrong. Why? It's immoral. Where did that come from? How do we all, go ahead, Scott, come on back up here, and I'll give you your cash back, right? Yeah. Yeah, what a guy, yeah. Here, there's your prize, I'll give you a piece of gum right on top. It's like, yeah, hey, just for you, we take care of you at Sunrise Baptist Church, live from Vegas. Uh, but that's right, uh, so where did that come from? How do you know that's wrong? I mean, I, God, they know it's wrong, somebody inherit. Now, over time, your conscience can become seared, this scripture talks about, and you think it's okay to murder, you think it's okay to steal, but early on, how did you know that? Where did that come from? Right? And that's what we're going to see tonight. That's Paul's argument for the existence of God. Okay? Universal moral laws outside even the scripture is a sign of a universal moral law giver. Okay? Now, he says this. Imagine the following scenario. Two men, one named Bob and the other one Dan. And they're asked to create an animal in their minds, in their minds, that does not exist. That's right, John. Imagination. Right, so they're, they're say, there's a challenge. Come up with an animal in your mind, okay, and that does not exist. Kind of like um, yummy chicken. That's make believe, right? <laughs> Obviously, okay. Anyway, so after doing this, Bob claims my animal is bigger than yours, but Dan replies, "No, my animal is bigger than yours." And this is just an imaginary thing in their mind, okay? How do you decide who's right? You, you. You can describe it, but it's imagine. I mean, how do, how do you know? Because you can't see into their brain, right? Oh, what a guy. Man, look at that. I've never had a $3 bill before. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> but anyway, so it goes like this. It does not exist, okay? Uh, how, how do you know it's, it's right? You can't see into the brain. We're going to see two different categories of what people talk about what they would consider as truth. Okay, tonight. One is objective truth. Okay, the other one is subjective truth. Objective uh, 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 truth is like the Bible. And it's objective because it's an object. It's a Bible. I can look at this. I can see it. I can test it. I can examine it. I can cross-reference it, right? So that's objective truth. I can objectively take a look at it. Subjective is just like, well, that's what I can't get in your brain. How am I supposed to know? You hear people today say, well, I got a word from God, or God told me. I wasn't there. How am I supposed to know? Right? It's subjective. You know, it's your feelings. I can't get inside your feelings. How, I, that's subjective. How do you test that? Right? And that's what they're doing with their minds. When truth gets relegated okay, to something that's subjective, you can't test it. And we're going to see if we get that far tonight, that's why we're in trouble today. It would be impossible, he says, to decide who was right in this case because the animals were created in their minds do not exist. Now, flip it around. What if Bob and Dan were asked to think of an animal that does exist 
Okay, and then write the name of the animal down on a piece of paper. Okay, and after doing this, Bob exclaims, again, the challenge, well, my animal's bigger than yours. But Dan says, no, my animal's bigger than yours. At that point, how do you decide? You show the paper, and that's what he says. This time it would be easy to decide who was right if Bob wrote down the word elephant, and it wasn't a man, that's a real animal, but Dan wrote down the word mouse, obviously Bob would be right because elephants, number one, and mice do exist. That's objective. We know that. That can be tried. It can be tested. Okay, but we also know because of that, elephants are always bigger than mice, right? So we can make a confident decision of whose statement was true. Now, let me flip this around. So Bob claims, my animal is bigger than yours, but Dan replies, no, my animal is bigger than yours. How do you decide what's right? Instead of doing the objective one, what you need to do to determine truth is take a poll, right? Because that's how you determine truth. Yeah, real quick. Well, we're going to get to that. That's evolution. That's the live evolution, okay? But, but isn't that what people say today? They kind of go with the crowd, right? How many times do you have your mom and dad say that? If everybody's going over a cliff, does that mean you got to too? Praise God, I wasn't the only one who got that lecture, okay? Uh, number two, no, I know what you do. So, so we got this. He says you got the two animals there. How we decide the truth is to see what your friends think. Because that's how you determine truth, right? Because your friends determine what... How many of you guys got in some big, giant trouble because you listened to your friend? Lecture number two I got. Okay, number three. No, no, no. Here's what you do. Uh, I determine what is right, what's based, what's good for me, right? My truth is what's true to me. Your truth is what's true. But I, what feels right? What's it? Oh, here's one. It's in my heart. <laughs> oh, so that's, that's how you determine truth. No, but that's what people think today, right? Again, can, can you get into somebody's heart? Right? No, no it's just, that's subjective, okay? Or here's a good one. You know what I'm going to do? In order to discover if this is true or not, I'm going to wait for the burning of the bosom. That's what the Mormons do. That's what they base their whole belief on, you know, hold due respect. So it could be a bad cheeseburger, a chicken. You can get all kinds of burning in your bosom. It has nothing to do with truth. Right? But again, that's subjective, right? So, so you're going to base your whole eternal destiny on some feeling? Well, that's, that's their whole basis, right? And that's why things are so messed up today. Flip it over to the next page. How do we decide who is right and who is wrong when it comes to morality? Right? And again, this is, this is what we're going to talk about. It says this, when World War II was over, some of the war criminals were brought to trial. Some of these people were asked, how could you kill so many innocent people? The Nuremberg trials, you guys familiar with that? After World War II? All right. And uh, with the Nazis there, it says, well, some of them actually answered. This was their defense. How could you do, you guys know the atrocities, obviously, with what happened with Hitler and the Jewish people. It wasn't just Hitler, but the, the Nazi, the camp commanders, the SS and all that stuff, the horrible things. They're taking human beings and they're murdering them. They're just shooting them in the yard like the targets and gassing them and putting them in, the burning them. And it's horrible. Drive them over with bulldozers. It's just, it's sick. And this was their, their, how could you do that? That's the question. This was a real historical event. They quote, here's what their answer was. I was just obeying the commands of my leaders and following the laws of my country. Right. And here's what, well, actually the laws of the country there at that time, the German books on the law at that time said that the Jewish people were not a people. Right. So, So, yeah, their law may have said something like this, but the court, when it came down to be judged, they appeal to something higher. Listen to this. The judges asked, but is there not a law that is bigger and above national laws? Isn't there a universally recognized law of morality that we all must live by? 
And these guys are punished. So that's your scapegoat. You're going to say, well, uh, 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 I was just doing what my authority told me to do or the, the laws of my nation told me to do. If a law was passed that you and I, as a born-again Christian, have to promote and be a part of murdering children, i.e. abortion, uh, I guess we have to obey it. No. Romans 13 and people want to say, well, you got to do what the government says. Well, yeah, it says you need to honor those, but there's always the trump card there. If anything goes against the universal moral law, if anything goes against what we see in the actual law of God, God comes first. He's the one who makes up the rules. Okay, but that's what they appeal to. They says, excuse me, that's no excuse, man, because you know inherently it's wrong. It is wrong to torture people like that. It is wrong to ruthlessly murder somebody like that. I don't care what your country is. So even in the Nuremberg trials, they appealed to a higher law. Where'd that law come from? It came from God. It's an argument for the existence of God. And that's what he says. If a law exists that is bigger and above national laws, human feelings, and personal opinions, then who created this universal moral law? A universal moral law giver. And that's what we're going to see. You guys ready for your first blanks? For those of you who have workbooks, the rest of you use your imagination. This law must come from someone who is bigger and above nations and humans This law must, your first blank there, this law must come from God. In fact, we're going to give you the breakdown here uh, in your little diagram there. And the first part is moral law giver. Okay, at the very top there. Moral law giver gives out a moral law underneath that, moral law, and then leads to where it branches off to what's right and what's wrong. Moral law giver gives a moral law which determines uh, what's right and what's wrong. Hey, has anybody ever disagreed uh, in your house about what was right and wrong on a situation? Welcome to being married. You single, well, John's always right. And that's why we'll be meeting for counseling afterwards. And I just didn't want to say that publicly, but we'll talk about that later. Man in the house. Yes, Ruth, will be praying for you and interceding as a church. And No, <laughs> yeah, no, right? Aren't you glad that even when you come to a disagreement, there is a place that we could rally around to find out that which is always right? Because our society has moved away from the universal moral lawgiver and God and what he says is right and wrong, this is why things are unbalanced, and we'll get to that in a second. But the argument goes this. If there is no God, there is no universal moral law. Okay? If evolution is true, then how do you determine right and wrong? Think about that. If it's random occurrences, how do you determine that which is right and that is which is wrong? You do what Brian was alluding to. You do what Adolf Hitler did, okay? Uh, and uh, when he rose to power, Hitler, of course, was not only an occultist, okay, but he was an evolutionist. And that's why he was killing the Jewish people. We saw before, I don't need to go into it too deep again, but he started off the Jewish people because they were the last on his evolutionary list. Aryan race at the top, Jewish people at the bottom. So he was starting with them. If he were to have accomplished that final solution there, he was going up to the, to the black African peoples, then the oriental peoples, and he was going up and he was going to commit genocide until all that was left on the planet was just the Aryan race. Because the Aryan race, he believes, was the strongest, the fittest. Where do you get that mentality from? Evolution. Let me read some of that from you. R. Milner in the Encyclopedia of Evolution said, the position in Germany was that man must conform to nature's processes no matter how ruthless. The fittest must never stand in the way of the law of evolutionary progress. In this extreme form, that social view was used in Nazi Germany to justify sterilization, mass murder of the unfit, the incompetent, and, quote, inferior races. 
So they, this is secular stuff. They admit that it was idea. And in fact, they say you can't read through Hitler's Mein Kampf without encountering evolutionary mindset, right? And he believed that everything, it's, it's evolution, right? The strongest, the fittest survive. If there is no God, then whoever is the strongest, whoever is the fittest, whoever has the biggest guns, the biggest power, the most gold, all this put together, they get to be God. They get to determine what's right and wrong, right? That's an evolutionary mindset, and that leads uh, to tyranny, okay? But let's continue on. So if the evolution is true, how do you determine what's right and wrong, right? And if evolution is true, then why do we have certain things in our society in place, like a legal system, right? Why do we have courts of law? Why do we have, why do we have judges, Right? If, 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 why don't we just, you know, if we get into an argument, forget, skip the lawyer thing, right? You can save some serious cash, apparently. What you do is you just, you duke it out, right? And whoever's the strongest, the fittest, that, that, that becomes the truth, right? Well, that's, you know, what people are doing today, okay? Why, but why do we have courts of law? Why do we have judges, right? And who gave them the ability to determine what was right and wrong? Why do we have jail systems today? Why do we have police officers who enforce the law, Right? If evolution is true, why do we have any of this stuff? In fact, not only, why do we not only have any of this stuff, but where did this stuff come from? If all life is truly a random process, how did that ever even come about? It should just be one big, giant, constant battle, and whoever ends up on top is the way it is. And you should be excited about it, because this is going to help us progress better and better. No, it's not. Okay, so it's things to think of. But he even says this. He says, but even atheistic ph- philosophers admit this. And this is the top of page 35. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he admits this in The Atheist Dilemma. This French atheist philosopher wrote, quote, everything is indeed permitted if God does not exist. What did we see in our 42 weeks of creation? How many times did we quote 2 Peter chapter 3? The reason why these guys didn't believe this evidence for the God's existence is why? Because there was no evidence? No, there was plenty of evidence. They were willingly ignorant, which means dumb on purpose. With all due respect, I'm going to believe in something totally dumb. So I can follow my ungodly desires. The reason why people do this is because they, uh, is they don't want there to be a God. Why don't they want there to be a God? Because they want to be their own God. They want to do whatever they want to do. They want to live without laws. But a completely lawless society is unimaginable, so you got to have what? You still don't want to submit to God, so what? Brute force, strongest, fittest. It'll always resort back to that if you take God out of the equation. He says that's the problem. And man, in his consequence, forlorn. For he cannot find anything to depend upon, either within or without himself. Nor, on the other hand, if God does not exist, are we provided any values or commands that can legitimize our behavior. But inherently, we know it's not right. Let me give you some other examples. What if somebody were to come up to you and say, you know what, I have a value that is really dear to me. This is my truth. And my truth is, I think it's the best thing in the world to abuse women. Why are you looking at me like that? That's, that's my value. And haven't you learned the world today is you need to be tolerant of my value, right? Are you, in, are you being a bigot? Are you intolerant? This is my lifestyle. This is my claim to truth. This is what is true to me. This is what is fulfilling to me. Who are you to interfere with that? You know what? I tell you what. I, there's another uh, fulfilling uh, lifestyle that I'm a part of. You know what? In, in fact, my son, Billy, I'm so proud. I'm teaching him to be a thief. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You talk about bonding time. It's awesome. Now, if I really believed that and did that, you would inherently, no matter who I would say, would say, hey, that's horrible. That's wrong for a father. What are you doing to 
you can't. That's crazy. You're being, you're a bigot. You know what? You're one of those right wing fundamentalist extremists. How dare you interfere on my claim to truth? Because what I believe is true to me and whatever you believe is true to you, but this is what, excuse me? And again, you could put that to the test. If I were to take Scott's money inherently, no. Deep down inside, we know it's wrong. Where did that come from? It's wrong. What? I'll throw in one more because this is a stinger, and this is actually where society's headed. What if I had a value or a claim to truth, a lifestyle, that I said, you know what? I just, um, I molest children. That's a stinger, isn't it? Can I tell you something? We opened up Pandora's box as a nation on the issue of homosexuality. And I've been warning you guys this, and if you have been paying attention to news, you know where we're headed? Pedophilia is coming in like a flood now. Why? Because that's their lifestyle. Right? It's coming. We're also not only that is we're having uh, multiple marriages. Right? Polygamy is coming in like a flood. Right? Uh, and multiple marriages, uh, not just, uh, but now with even same sex, multiple marriages. You tweak with the truth. You go down that route. This is what it is. So, so how, how do you determine that? I mean, so, something ain't right. I'm sorry. You cannot have three marriage partners. That Something inside says that's not right. It's not right to molest. It's not right to steal. It's not right to murder. God created us male and female. It's not right. Something's wrong. Where'd that come from? That's an argument for the existence of God. If evolution is true, and this is what we're doing. How long have we been teaching evolution now in schools? Evolution isn't just a mindset. It produces behavior because people will behave based upon what they believe. And if you don't believe that there's a God, you're going to act like it. But not only that, then you will be put into a position, Genesis chapter 3, you will be like God. You can determine what's good and evil when you get away from God's standard of what he says is right. Don't eat from that tree. Oh, no, no, listen to Satan. Right? Well, let's continue on. He says this. In other words, if we take God out of the picture, right and wrong, good and evil go with him. And in the process, we lose the right to say anything wrong about evil, right? And that's where we're at today, right? You've taken away the foundation. You've taken away the scripture. You got rid of God and the Bible and prayer and the Ten Commandments in the school and in the court system. Is it any wonder we're left with what we got now? And it's getting worse. Romans chapter 1, Paul not only talks about the argument for the existence of God. He says, if you keep going down this, God's going to give you over. He's going to give you over. He's going to give you over. He's going to give you over. And it gets progressively worse, and that's where we're at. And he's talking about morality. Right? Because once man determines reality, morality outside of God, the moral lawgiver, you're in a heap of trouble because anything goes. And that's exactly what's uh, going on today. Now, I want to just give you a little taste of what, why our country was stable for so long. Okay, up until the 60s when they started interjecting evolution, got rid of prayer and Bible reading, later the Ten Commandments, etc. Even in our courtrooms. Because for over 200 years, um, with, if you're familiar with McGuffey's Reader, uh, it was all about the Bible. Kids learn the alphabet from the Bible, okay? All kinds of Bible. Their tests, their tests were from the Bible, right? And this is in the school, right? Congress approved Bibles to be put in the school. Congress paid for Bibles to be put in the schools, okay? George Washington even said, it is impossible to rightly govern a people without God and the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is the basis for morality, right? In fact, in our law, Okay, we have switched, we've talked about this before, we have switched to what now is called case law. Case law is determined by a case-by-case basis. 
depending on how it was ruled by one judge in one court case. And then they'll go back, if you see it, like, you know, if you guys are in those CSI shows, well, in Jones versus Catfish Bean or whatever, you know, uh, they rule blah, blah, blah. And so they use that as the basis of truth. Well, the problem is that's men ruling men. We didn't used to be that way. It used to be what was called common law, okay, and it was based on this guy named Blackstone, Blackstone Commentary. Okay, and Blackstone Commentary, I want to read to you, was based on the Scripture. Okay, and did you know that our legal system was not only based on Scripture, and when it's based on the Scripture, it's pretty standard. There is no question between right and wrong. Either the Bible says it, the Bible condones it, or it doesn't, right? And that adds stability. I, I use the analogy of just your home, right? You ever have a disagreement? You will always have stability if you submit to the Word of God. As a family, as a couple, whatever. Hey, piece of cake, right? Because you don't have to say, well, you said you should. No, what's God say? Submit to it, you got peace in your household. But that's the problem. We don't do that, right? But our nation was built on that. But listen to how much Scripture used to be in our court system. This, Blackstone commentaries are what they used to train the lawyers and who were going into the legal system. But listen to this. Blackstone's commentaries, William Blackstone, he uh, died in 1780 at the age of 56, uh, but he wrote what's called Blackstone's Commentaries. For 200 years, his rules were the final word in court. This is in our nation, okay? And uh, his laws come from the Scripture. Just real quick, uh, for instance, the idea that we have uh, in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the three branches of government that came from Isaiah 33, the logic for the separation of powers, Jeremiah 17, the basis for tax exemptions for churches, Ezra chapter 7, on and on and on it goes. Everything we have based in our country... Well, uh, verbatim almost all of it was based out of the scripture a scriptural example and that's what this guy built right but listen to this this is how much scripture was in there obedience to the law of god was a standard that understanding in america until the mid 1800s when positive law began to take over and it was in the mid 1800s that uh, the start of denying the reality of god became acceptable what also was launched in the mid 1800s Charles Darwin. that's right Reed. i saw that coming out charles darwin interesting so he started bucking against the existence of God, and they said, no, I think we need to uh, examine that. Arguments such as, did God write the Bible or did man, and uh, began to start to unfold, people began to question him. But this was non-existent for 150 years. But listen to this. I want to give you an example. Charles Finney, you ever hear him? Charles Finney is known as being a great preacher and evangelist, but before he was in ministry, he was an attorney. So he's an attorney in the United States, so guess what he has to study? He has to study Blackstone's commentary, right? Finney saw so many scripture references. He wasn't a Christian at this time. He, but he saw so many scripture references in that book that he had to be trained to be an attorney that he decided to buy a Bible. Then, uh, then that began his process of studying the Bible. And uh, in studying Blackstone, he read so much of the Bible that he became a Christian and received his call to the ministry and became the great preacher, evangelist, and leader of America's second great awakening in the mid-1800s, the second true genuine revival in our nation's history, spiritual revival. The guy got saved by reading the commentaries to train lawyers for our legal system. And yet, people want to say that you're not supposed to have the Bible in our government, in our courts, excuse me, it's crazy, folks, right? Our society's been, it, it's, it's been rewritten, but let's continue on. When God is no longer in the picture, terms like morality, good, evil, and truth can only be defined by conflicting human opinions. Why is it always going to be conflicting? You're not always going to agree, right? But here's the great news. 
How many times does God contradict himself? Never. And what he says, that's the way it is. You're never going to have a conflict if you submit to the word of God. Right? But if you chuck the word of God, like we've done, unfortunately, you're all over the place. And that's why you have conflict. Right? Because people aren't doing that. There's no basis for truth. Personal feelings or personal taste. Okay? If morality, that's your next blank there. If morality is based solely on human opinion or personal feelings, whose opinion or feelings should we choose to follow? John, that was your lead-in. I was thought for sure you'd speak up on that one. Okay, never mind. You're doing good. Okay. If nature, that's your next blank there. If nature is the author of moral law, that's your next blank there, whose nature do we choose to follow? Well, that's back to what Hitler did, right? The strongest, the fittest shall survive. Right? Who's got, whoever's got the gold makes the golden rules. Right? And, and this is why our founding father says our rights are endowed by our creator. That's what protects us from the way the system was built for us here in America, protects us from a tyranny. A tyranny is just that. We got the power. We got the guns. We're overpowering you, the people. We're going to tell you what to do. That's a tyranny. Well, that's what you have when you remove God. But the way that they set it up says, no, in fact, if your government gets going south, then we're going to work it out into the system that you as a people have a right to overthrow that government. And that's why we have the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. And what that was was just to make sure that you shave all the hair on the No, that's the wrong bear arms, Tom. I know you're thinking that, but sorry, we'll talk about that later. No, and it was, it was, it was so we would have the freedom to go duck hunting. That's why they put it in there. No, what was the right to bear arms for? to overthrow in the context if the government started to become tyrannical, did not submit to the word of God, the people had the right from God because our rights are endowed by our creator to say, nope, restart, hit the restart button. That's the context, and let's get it back on track. Okay, but let's continue on. C.S. Lewis wrote, the moment you say one set of moral ideas can be better than another, you are, in fact, measuring them both by a standard saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other. You are, in fact, condemning them both with some real morality, admitting that there is such thing as a real right, independent of what people think, and that some people's ideas get nearer to that real right than others. Okay, The very nature that some people would even say, hey, that's not good, implies there's a God, if you start to break it down. Well, if evolution is true... How do you determine what's good? Where's good come from? Who determines what's good? Right? Okay? And that's the problem. But he says this. He says, now there's some issues with that. Uh, uh, the next page there. He says, some people say that you, this universal moral law came from thousands and thousands of years of social human evolution. Excuse me? All right? So let's examine why that doesn't make sense. Number one, here are some of the reasons why the idea of evolution of morality right? Evolution of morality does not make sense. Number one, not one proponent of evolutionary ethics has explained how an impersonal, amoral, meaning no moral, first caused through a non-moral process can produce a moral basis of life. Now that's a mouthful. Let me do my best to translate that for you. How many of you guys believe that a random blob of goo in some primordial ooze just randomly spoke up and says, you shall not steal? Random processes, random goo, random lightning striking sticks and stones isn't going to speak, period, let alone come up with a morality. And that's what he says. Yeah, and that's what he says. He says, with evolution, no, they can't give an answer for this. 
Where did this right and wrong come from? Where did this inherent right and wrong? If evolution is true, how did any of this come about? That's number one. So goo, a blob of goo is not going to determine morality. Right? That's common sense. That's why it doesn't work. Number two, if morality is evolving, listen to this. Then society's morals should be getting better. Right? Because isn't that the basis of evolution? The strongest the fittest survive. And so we kill off those weaklings and we're left with nothing stronger. And as the millions of years progress, we're getting better, bigger and better and stronger and awesome. And We're not evolving, we're devolving. To use their terms, evolution is a lie. We're getting worse. So if evolution is true, and if that truly is the basis, what's the question? No, uh, evolution determines morality. Then we should be the most moral people, especially if we use their timeline. Millions and millions of years ago. Right? But what do we see? The exact opposite. Why? Because who are we rejecting? The universal moral lawgiver who gave this universal moral law, and we want to determine what's right and wrong. We are not getting better, we're getting worse. And that's what he says, but we see we're not getting better. We just ended the bloodiest century in human history. It would be hard to prove that we are progressing in areas of morality. So that's ridiculous. Three, we talked about this with Hitler. If the theory of evolution uses words like survival of the fittest to explain how animals evolve, this theory claims that it's the natural, bigger, stronger living thing lives uh, and the smaller, weaker living thing dies. So if that's true, natural selection, then a strong person killing a weak person is a natural, normal, i.e., dare we say, good result of evolution. Right? So they not only say the animals supposedly evolve, but they say that people evolve. So if that's true, and we're going to use that for a basis, let's flip it around even outside the realm of what Hitler did. He used that as the basis to do his atrocities. But would that be acceptable today that uh, if somebody even tried to send somebody to uh, uh, a court for murdering somebody, is that going to be their justification as to why they're not going to jail? Excuse me. Excuse me, evolutionary judge. I was exercising my right as an evolutionary cosmic accident to help the human species to beat up this guy. I mean, it was, look at him. He looked like Pastor Billy. He had no muscles. He was flabby. He was, he was a detriment to human society. I had to beat him. I had to take him out. Okay. Yep, you're right. Because evolution, that's right. That's what we base truth on. Yeah. Whoo. Saved another one. Man, another million years, we're going to make it in space. Now, as ridiculous as that is, that's the extension of evolution. Right? We should be allowing for that. But inherently... We not only know that that's absolutely wrong, that's cruelty, that's murder. Again, where did that come from if evolution is true? Why does that even enter the mind? Again, why did that guy even go before a court? Everybody should have an inherent evolutionary knowledge. Yeah, and they should be throwing, instead of going to court, throwing block parties. Yeah, I got rid of another weakling. And that's sick. Even, it sounds sick even saying it. But if evolution is true, isn't that how it should go? So why do we have the system in place that we do? Because something inside called a universal moral law tells us, mm-mm, not right. We were created, the Bible says, in God's image, right? Now, we know that we're created in his image spiritually, right? Okay, why? Because John chapter 4 says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so we're given a spirit nature so that we can commune with God who is spirit. Anybody glad for that relational time? Yeah. Okay, but we're also creating this image morally. And this, again, is Paul's argument here in uh, Romans chapter 2. He gave, God is just. God is righteous. 
God determines what is right and what is wrong, right? And he has built that in us because we're created in his image, which is proof that he, we didn't evolve, and it's not by chance we came from him. All right, let's continue on. If this is true, again, evolution, strongest, fittest, it's okay to beat up this weakling because we're helping the human race. If this is true, then flip it around. Then a strong person killing a weak person is not only a natural result of evolution, but we know that this is evil, but flip it around, okay? He says, number four, evolutionary ethics can't explain why sometimes strong, healthy people will die to save a weaker, unhealthy individual, right? If evolution is true, why do we see people, especially after millions and billions of years, why do we see people show mercy, compassion? Why is there an ounce of compassion on anybody if it's all about the strongest and fittest and we're just a product of evolution? Where did that come from? We're created in the image of God, spiritually and morally. Because God is merciful. Anybody glad? God is compassionate. God is loving. But you should see no attributes, especially after all this evolutionary supposed time, of these traits in mankind. Where did that come from? Okay? So this whole idea that you determine truth and morality by means of evolution is ridiculous. You can think that all you want, but we don't see any basis of it, not just logically, not just biblically, we don't see it, but even practically, in reality, we don't see it either. Top of the next page. What is the relevance of this argument then? If there really is a moral law, going back to the law of causality, you guys remember that one? Law of causality. Basically, if something's in existence, obviously something caused it to appear into existence, right? Right? Because uh, remember that great example? I mean, guys, just love how this works. Just, it's a wonderful miracle. I don't know how many times a day I do it. It works. It's awesome. Is you open up your checkbook, and there literally is nothing in there. I mean, zilcho. But what you do is you close it. You wait for a million years to go by. You open it again. Hey, there's money in there. And you close it. And it's just, and the more, in fact, Joey, the, I forget the million years. I just keep closing, open, closing, open, closing, open. And money just starts popping out all over the place. It's awesome. No. Uh, it doesn't work that way, does it? Something has to cause it to get into the checkbook, right? So basically, you don't get something from nothing, right? That's the law of causality. So if we see there's something in humanity called a universal moral law, law of causality kicks in and says, well, where did that come from? Who caused it to be there in the heart of man, okay? There has to be, therefore, a moral law giver. Somebody had to cause it. Somebody had to give it. A law implies a lawgiver. Is your blank there, a lawgiver. Okay, if God, number two, is the author of the moral law, your next blank there, then we can learn a lot about him from this law, right? Number one, that he's righteous. Righteous. He determines what's right. He's righteous, right? And what he says is right is the right way to go. He's righteous, okay? He does not have wrong, i.e. sin, Okay, he's righteous, okay? Uh, and again, that was the purpose of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, we all know, was given by God to have a religious display at your home to prove to your guests that you're a Christian. I hope that's more than that. <laughs> right? No. They, you know, there is something to memorize and impress your Sunday school class. It's awesome. You've got to build up your self-esteem. No? Okay. I know what's there. There were try, ten things that you try to keep your whole life to prove to God you're worthy to get to heaven. Now, that's what a lot of people believe. It's not. 
Ten Commandments were God's x-ray to show us that we're not right, we're not righteous, we're not perfect, we're disqualified for heaven because we can't even keep these ten things. The Ten Commandments were not a means of our way to earn our way to heaven because we can't. They were to show us our need of a Savior, right? It's why God gave them. So number three, it may two occurs, and that's the point. Hey, wait a minute. I consistently break the moral law. And because I do and will break again this law, I must be an enemy of the creator of the universe. I may be in serious trouble. Right? Okay? But again, what's the premise? Evolution has spawned this mindset. Very quickly, I want to hit this and we'll close. Is what we've talked about before. It's called relativism. Relativism is wrapped up in the phrase, truth is relative to you, to what you want it to be. Whatever I believe is true to me, whatever you believe is true to you. Right? Except when it comes to chicken, you guys know I'm right. But anyway, relativism, okay, is basically relegated to personal opinion, right? Now, try everybody loves that, right? Everybody says, you know, it's just whatever makes me feels right. It's my opinion, whatever, blah, blah. But we've tested that before, okay? Relativism is ridiculous. Relativism doesn't work anywhere, okay, in society. I did the easy example with Scott. We know that inherently there's a truth. Yes, in my world, I, th- I felt that it was absolutely acceptable for me to take Scott's money. That doesn't make it right. I don't care how sincere you are. It just means you're sincerely wrong. In fact, the moment you say there are no absolute truths, you just made an absolute statement, so you can't escape from it. Okay, but we put it to the test before. Well, let's say if, if uh, uh, somebody, relativistic thinking, this is how they determine morality. It's up to them, relatively. Okay, that uh, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Hey, stop laughing at me. That's my truth. I sincerely believe that. In my world, in Billy math. And you know what? I'm going to build you guys a plane with using Billy math. How many guys want to go with me in the test flight? Dude, you're brave or something else, but I'm glad you played the game. Excuse me, what? Now, now, but listen. Okay, but I sincerely believe this. This is my sincerely held belief. This is how I do math. And we laugh at that. But even in our secular world, if anybody ever once from kindergarten all the way to university level ever put the answer 2 plus 2 equals 5 on your math test, what will you get 100% of the time? F, 0, zilcho, wrong. So how could truth be relative? It doesn't work in mathematics. It's not honored in mathematics. And praise God for those who build stuff with mathematics. Right? So how, why is it acceptable when it comes to morality? Another one that we, we, we don't accept, even in secular society, when it comes to determining truth, uh, is the issue. Of, so that's mathematics. How about, how about history? You know, it's my sincerely held belief that uh, Abraham Lincoln was a Wild West cowboy. I agree with you. We got some common ground here. He was the 16th president, but he really was a Wild West cowboy. Okay? No, and I could truly believe that, but that doesn't make it what? I'm sincere about it. It just means I'm sincerely... Wrong. I've shared this before, but by way of Abraham Lincoln, he actually dealt with this mindset before. True story. Abraham Lincoln was trying to make a point in a debate, and his hearer was unconvinced and stubborn. So Lincoln tried another tack. He said, he said to the guy, he says, well, let's see, how many legs does a cow have? And the disgusted reply came back, well, four, of course. And Lincoln agreed, that's right. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg, how many legs does a cow have? And the opponent confident replied, well, five, of course. And Lincoln came back, now that's where you're wrong. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. And you can sincerely believe that Abraham Lincoln was a Wild West cowboy, but you're wrong. You can call that all you want, but you're wrong. 
So my question is, so how is it that truth for morality, what's determined right and wrong, how can it be relegated to your own personal opinion or whatever you feel right today, but we do not accept this in math, or you'll flunk, and you'll also flunk your history, Ted. Right? One more example, we'll move on. The third one, of course, uh, is in the realm of science. Now, what if it was John's? I'm going to pass the buck on this one. What if it was John's sincerely held belief that the next time he goes up in the Billy Math plane, okay, that he's going to jump out uh, without a parachute at 15,000 feet. Yes, John, we made it up that high, but we blew up later. That's why, because my math. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, he's, and he was fully confident that as soon as he jumped out of that plane without a, uh, uh, a parachute, he flew upward and soared like a birdie all the way, landed into the backyard. Before he did, he waved over Ron's house. Hi, Ron. Uh, right? Right? And John really believed that. Stop making fun of him. That's his sincerely held belief. Who are you? Are you being intolerant? Are you a bigot? Yeah, <laughs> something going on. Okay, you ate chicken again, I'll tell you what. Excuse me, no, there's a law. What, what's that? In science, there's laws. And what's the law, whether you believe it or not, that will always kick in if you jump out of a plane without a parachute? Gravity. And you'll find out very quick that you were sincerely wrong. Yeah, terminal velocity, okay, that's right, okay. Now here's my point, and bring that up. Excuse me? So then why is it acceptable when it comes to eternal matters and morality today? We, ref- we will not tolerate determining truth relatively, mathematically, historically, not even science. We know there's absolute law. But somehow when it comes to morals, yeah, whatever you want. And if anybody dares disagree with you, they're intolerant. That's not consistent. Why is it just the morals? Because the heart of man, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. Genesis chapter 3 says that's where it all started. We didn't want to listen to God. That's what caused the fall of man. That's why we're getting worse, not better. And that's why people today, even though there's tons of evidence for the existence of God, even scientifically, they refuse to believe something as goofy as evolution because they don't want there to be a God because then they can decide morality. That's where we're at today. Let's continue on. C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, says, if, if after this, though, you realize that there's a real moral law and a power behind the law, and that you have broken that law, and that you put yourself wrong with that power, it's after all this, no moment sooner, that Christianity begins to talk. When you know you are sick, you'll listen to the doctor. When you realize that our position is nearly desperate, you'll begin to understand what the Christians are talking about. They tell you how uh, the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been met on our behalf. How God himself became, becomes a man to save man from the disapproval of God. The Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. Okay, But it does not begin in comfort. Listen, it begins in the dismay I have been describing. And it's, listen, no use at all trying to go on to that comfort, listen, without first going through that dismay. Can I translate that for you? You're not going to receive the comfort of the gospel until you first admit that, guess what? You are wrong. God is right. He is holy. I am not. I have sinned. I have fallen short. But what is in many churches today, how is the so-called gospel presented? Backwards. And instead of saying to the point, showing them the mirror of God's law, you are wrong. You are a sinner 
Oh, here's the good news. Jesus Christ paid your penalty. Here's the message of love. They flip it around. And you wonder if people even responding correctly. What kind of gospel is this? Because they start off with the opposite. They say, oh, you're so loving. You're so awesome. God loves you. You're incredible. You're awesome. Go ahead and do it. I know you're wanting to do it. Mm. Yeah. You're awesome. Yeah. Don't you know that? It's almost like we're afraid to give the real gospel. And, and we're trying to warm people up. But we're doing it backwards. You're so, oh, incredible. Okay. And then we finally get around what you're supposed to do first. And then we say, oh, but by the way. And they're still doing this. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah. Keep it going. Yeah, what else? What else? How awesome am I? Yeah, God loves you. Yeah. Everybody loves me. Surely God does. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, God is holy and you're not. You have sinned. Whoa, whoa, stop right there. No, no, no. You see how it messes things up? You're getting the car before the horse. That's what churches do today. They'll sit there and they'll talk about God loves, God loves. And it's true, but you're messing it up. Before you can receive, and that's what he's talking about. That's what C.S. Lewis talked Before you get to the good news of the gospel, they have to feel that dismay. I'm in a heap of trouble. I need a savior. He says this, in this lesson, we remind that a moral law exists, a moral law giver exists, because where did it come from? We've also been reminded that because of our sin, we have made ourselves enemies of God. But there is hope, is your blank, and there is good news. Is your final two blanks there. His name is Jesus Christ. So this is the issue that we got here that's going on here. If the moral law shows us that God exists, right? The moral law also shows us that we're sinners, okay? But think about that. Not only are churches presenting the gospel backwards, unfortunately, okay? But in order for somebody to get to that first point that they're a sinner in need of a savior, if you determine what is right and wrong, how are you ever going to come across the good news of the gospel? Because you will say that you are right. Your way is right. Your morality is right, right? How do you ever get to that first step? Do you see the danger of this thinking? Not just in the church, but in general. When you remove this standard, you don't just remove a standard for morality. You remove the first step of the basis for somebody getting saved. Do you see it? That's what our society's done. And ultimately, if somebody leaves this planet and they're not saved, where are they going? They're going to hell. Do you think that's by chance that the enemies worked hard in our country that had so much scripture verses that lawyers were getting saved reading legal books to train them in the courts and getting out of our schools? It isn't just because, uh aha, I'm going to mess up the morality of America. It's I'm going to get people to determine, be their own God, Genesis chapter 3, so they'll never come to the logical conclusion, not just that God exists, but number two, that I'm a sinner. You will not come to that conclusion if you determine what's right and wrong. And number three, a moral law shows us why our society is messed up. Let's close in this uh, passage, Judges 17. I love this. This is U.S. of A. This is what's happening to our country right now. Judges, okay? See, Joshua and then Judges, which is next. That's your payoff for making it through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The action kicks in again. You know what I'm saying? You can make it. Right? Genesis, Exodus, that's awesome. And they say, little momentum changer there. Then you kick it in. It's a good guy. So judges. But Joshua, um, of course, we know is the second generation. Great stuff is going on. The first generation didn't want to believe God. Okay? And, uh, but the second generation did. So they're in there. And man, you talk about victory after victory after victory. God did what he says. He's a giant killer. He took them out, knocked them out. 
okay? And there was one area of compromise with Achan. He compromised. That was their one little loss there that was there. But man, when they trusted God, did what he said, what he said was right, did what he said, they had victory after victory after victory, okay? Now, you come to Judges, okay? And this is a generation we're talking about after uh, uh, Joshua. How long does it take for people to go backwards? Real quick. One generation. So after all this victory, Judges, uh, Joshua, victory after victory after victory, now we come to Judges and listen to how everything got messed up. Verse uh, 17, verse 1 says this. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said this to his mother. The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you uh, and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me and I took it. So this guy ripped off his mom. Wait a second. This is after victory after victory. We know stealing's wrong. What? How did it get? And this is just right. How did it get so messed up? And it gets even worse than that. Then his mother said, "The Lord bless you, my son." When he returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, she said, "I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son uh, to quote what? Make a carved image? What? What Bible are you reading? That's idolatry. God forbids that." So he ripped her off, and she's excited, and she wants to use that to make an image, a cast idol. And he says, I'll give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took the 200 shekels of silver, gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image, an idol, and they were put in, their ha- in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, what? And he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as a priest. What? Did you get your own little temple thing going? What's going on here? This is right after Joshua with all the victories and great, and you just follow God, do what he says. How did it get so messed up? Here it is. In those days... Here's your problem. Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Some of your translations will say, what was right in your own eyes. Can I tell you why we are going down the tube so fast? What have we done? We put aside the universal moral truth in the Bible that came from the universal moral God that we inherently know is true, and we're doing whatever is right in our own eyes. And it doesn't take that long to destroy a family, a nation, and a planet. Wow. So you look around, and you see not evidence of evolution. Uh, you see evidence of breaking God's universal moral law. That's an argument for his existence. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to be in another chapter. Is the Bible really God's word? How many of you guys heard that? All none of you. One of you. Praise God. I'm going to make sure you come. You'll learn a lot. The rest of you, I don't know. Well, hi. This is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not... How can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. 
uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. 
Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.